All right, welcome back to the podcast, and it is self-care month, self-care for the pastor, um, and self-care in general. And in this episode, you get to meet my friend, Callie. Uh, Callie lives in Ottawa, Canada, and we met through this entrepreneur group that we're doing right now. We're also in an accountability group. She started a self-care accountability group. And so we meet over Zoom on Sunday nights, which is kind of cool because I'm like the only American in the group, which makes me have to like think sometimes, like I'm always trying to convert uh, Fahrenheit to Celsius <laughs> whenever we're talking about the weather. But anyway, it's been fun to do that. We talk about our self-care regimen for the past week. Did we? How did we do? Um, we set our plan for the coming week. And this has been so helpful for me in the season of COVID when, you know, people are just burning out left and right, but especially pastors. Uh, And so this has been helpful to have some other people holding me accountable, accountable, not just holding me accountable. Sometimes that's like a negative term, I think. We use it in a negative way, but cheering one another on. You can do this. Uh, How are you doing today? You know, everything from, hey, I have, to, I have to make a difficult phone call this week or a difficult decision this week, and we'll check in with one another throughout the week going, have you done it yet? Okay, when are you, you going to do it? Are you going to put that on your calendar? You know, kind of like eat that frog, so to speak. Anyway, so it's been encouraging, and I've gotten to know her through this group, and She's also getting ready to start her own podcast. And one of the things about starting your podcast is it takes a lot of practice in telling your story, finding your groove, what parts you want to include in your story, what parts don't you want to include in your story. And of course, that's a big thing for me, right? The podcast is called This Is Her Story. So I invited her on to tell her story and talk about self-care in her own life. A couple of things. I want you to notice in her story because uh, most of my listeners are pastors and, you know, after a while, some, not all, but some pastors have a tendency to surround themselves with people who think like them, dress like them, talk like them, vote like them, read the same kind of books that they read, right? And when we do that, we are always at risk of setting ourselves up to develop a judgmental and critical spirit. And so I I wanted her to share her story, one, because I I want you to listen to some of the things that she says. And there's a couple of lines I want to point out that I want you to listen for in the story. One of them, she talks about, I met a group of women who didn't judge me. They just surrounded me and held me up and supported me. She talks about this group of people and she says, they saw me when I couldn't see myself. Also, there's some like fan girling in, in, at one point and Callie just got engaged. So she was showing me her ring via Zoom. Uh, so if you're wondering like, what, what was that all about? Um, And then she makes a couple of statements. One, she's actually quoting her chiropractor and she says, most people aren't living longer, they're dying longer. And then she doesn't actually say this, but one of the takeaways for me as I heard her story was, 
Self-care is a matter of life and death. And we need to start taking it more seriously, especially in the season of COVID. We're doing anyone any favors by failing to take care of ourselves. Uh, Well, the only thing we're doing is feeding our ego. But you know, at the end of the day, if you're dead, right, or incapacitated mentally, emotionally, physically, um, is it really doing you any good? Anyway, I appreciate her story. She's really vulnerable. I appreciate her willingness to be vulnerable with all of you. I just enjoy her and her appreciate her friendship and uh, she has some great great stuff to share in here we talk about several different books we mentioned several different books and so i'm going to put those in the show notes we talk about presence by amy cuddy and i'm going to see if i can find her youtube talk and also put the link for that in the show notes um the body keeps the score uh 10 happier and then we mentioned two different apps one of them is headspace the other is insight timer so i'll put the link for both of those in there and then i'm going to put her both her instagram which is brainhug.live i think and then uh, she has a facebook group too now the facebook group is private i'm going to put the link in there you'll have to request to join it but in this facebook group is where you can get connected with that self-care accountability group and i know that there are some of you listening to this and you need this group all right she also talks about this conscious journey uh, mapping thing that she does i found it really fascinating i enjoyed it i found it helpful some of you you're going to be like that's just too woo woo for me you know one of the things she does in her group uh her facebook group is she does these mini versions so you can kind of get a taste of it and you can be like yeah that's for me or no it's not for me some of you who are listening, you need this. I'm telling you, you need you need it because you need to connect with your emotions. And you keep denying the fact that you're grieving or you're wrestling with anger or some other things. You keep putting them on the shelf. You're compartmentalizing. And that is how you find yourself burning out and in on the fifth floor of St. Mary's Hospital because you haven't dealt with your emotions and your feelings. I want you to listen to this episode and see what God might have to say to you about some stuff that's actually happening in your life. Uh, So a reality check for some of you. All right. Anyway, enjoy the episode. We really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we just start telling the stories? and really flood the airwaves with something different. Hello. Hey, Kelly. How are you? Good. Welcome to the podcast. Thank (laughs) you. I'm so excited to be here. So, you know, we're doing self-care. I'm doing self-care right now on the podcast. So I kind of thought maybe just share your story about how you got to the place of, you know, needing rehab. And if you want to talk about, because I know you got sober two different times. So if you want to talk about Mm -hmm. both, but mostly I want, then I want you to talk about at 28, the things that really helped you to get sober and stay sober. 
And I mean, go ahead and talk about whatever you want. Like my listeners, some of them will be totally on board with, well, most of them will be on board with like the meditation. Some of them will be like, I don't know about you. You know, they're going to be all over the map, but I want you to share your authentic story and how it helped you through the journey um, of getting sober and staying sober. And then feel free to talk about what you're doing now. And so anyway, thanks for coming on the podcast and you're my second international guest. Oh my gosh, look at that. Yeah, so my, my, my first guest was from Kenya, so now I have Canada, so. Kenya, oh. Although she just moved to South Africa, so move. Anyway, so you're in Ottawa, and did you grow up there? No, I um, grew up in Northern Ontario. I spent most of my life in Thunder Bay. And what, like, what's the closest major city for my geographically challenged listeners? <laughs> I guess Winnipeg. Manitoba is about eight hours, but I think also Minneapolis is about eight hours to the American border. All right. So yeah, close to the to the border there. Mm-hmm. And now you're further Ottawa is like over by Vermont area, right? New York. So you grew so up when in COVID's Sunday. all over, I'll come visit. Yeah. yeah. You know, if when, no, we'll just say when. When when COVID ends yeah we can I can get to Canada and eventually see you in real time <laughs> in space <laughs> and not zoom so tell, okay. tell me a little bit about do you want to talk about that kind of like how you got to I know you said but before by the time you were 11 you were already drinking quite a bit um we moved to Thunder Bay when I was seven and I feel like I always struggled with my feelings I had a lot of heavy feelings as a child and I've been in therapy as long as I can remember so we moved to Thunder Bay yeah when I was seven and we moved into a low-income neighborhood it was like two blocks or three blocks of low-income duplexes and then and in the center of it there was low-income townhomes and so it was not a great neighborhood to be in Um, and the girls I made friends with were not the best girls to make friends with. So we took our first drink together. I feel like I was 11, 10 or 11. It was New Year's Eve. It was a beer. It was gross. So we mixed it with grapefruit juice. It was even grosser. (laughs) But we drank it. And then it was downhill from there. I drank until I blacked out for 16 years, 17 years, basically until I was 28. There's a lot of drinking in Thunder Bay and drug use in Thunder Bay. It's a small town, so that happens a lot there. So I am very lucky that I had a very supportive mother growing up um, who was sober for most of my life. And she set a pretty good example. I don't think she feels that way, but she raised three pretty strong girls. We've all turned out all right. So at 21, I got sober for the first time. I had gotten really into hard drugs and my drinking was out of control. I'd just been fired from both my jobs. And the night before 
I called my mom. I was in my second high-speed chase with the cops. And luckily, they let us go home. But that was, for me, that was the moment that I realized I can't live this life anymore. I don't want to die in this life. So the next day, I made the phone call to my mom. And she set me up with someone who picked me up and brought me to my first AA meeting as a member rather than a child in the playroom. It was hard. I don't know as though I was fully ready to give up alcohol. It was a big part of my life. All my friends drank. So it was a big change. I went to rehab that time around to treatment. It was a three-week intensive treatment program. And it, it, it made a big difference in my life. I never went back to drugs. I did start drinking again pretty heavily. Well, 28, I got sober for the second time. Yeah. So what happened when you turned 28 that you were like, I, I need to do this again? And was there something different about it, about this time? Like, did you think like this one has to work? Yeah. So what was different about this time? I, I remember the day like just like it happened yesterday. My friend and I had gone out for a drink after a 10 hour hike. You should never drink after a 10 hour hike. It's not a good idea. Very quickly, we got drunk. We were both, I don't know, I don't want to say heavy drinkers. I feel like that's not the right word, but we, we both drank a lot. We ended up partying until like four in the morning. And I had an orthodontist appointment at like nine the next day that I had to drive myself to. And to be honest, I probably shouldn't have been driving. But what really, so like all of that was, I was feeling pretty terrible, pretty down on myself. I have suffered from depression most of my life. And as we know, alcohol is a depressant. So I was just on this like crazy spiral because... The drinking was making my depression worse and the depression was making me drink more. So I woke up that morning feeling pretty awful. And I was meeting my college friends for a picnic in the Arboretum. And the girl who was with me was one of the college friends and she couldn't come because she was so sick from drinking. And we all got together and one of them told us she was pregnant which is like such great news. I was so happy for her. And then another one was like, oh, well, I just got engaged. Again, so happy for her. So beautiful. And and the third one that was there was also recently engaged. And I looked around and I said, when did you guys grow up? Like, when do I get to grow up? And they said, you're, you're Callista. You don't have to grow up. And I was like, but I want to grow up. So I went home. And I got on the Google and I I found AA meetings in my area. It was it took me three weeks before I actually went to a meeting. Yeah. Three more weeks of of drinking and depression. I was waking up every morning and my very first thought was I could just kill myself today. This could be it. Like I just I don't wanna I don't wanna do this anymore. And that's not the case anymore. Awesome. Yeah. So I think you asked at 28 what what was different and and what made it stick. So I got sober for, I was completely sober for a year. 
um, and then I had uh, a relapse. But in that year, what was different this time, I met an amazing group of women who supported me and loved me and helped me through it and didn't judge me and saw me, you know, they saw me when I couldn't see myself. So I ended up off work for that year because I had a mental breakdown, probably into the like first or second week of getting sober. I was just crying constantly. I cried on the way to work. I cried at work. I cried on the way home from work. I cried at home. I cried myself to sleep. I woke up crying. It was, it was not good. I was, I was really struggling. I started seeing psychiatrists. It took a long time, but we found a medication combination that works for me. Um, I have bipolar type two. So medication is probably something I'll have to be on for my whole life, Right. but it keeps me alive. Yeah. And I just decided I didn't want to go back to that life. I didn't want to feel like that anymore. I saw the light Mm-hmm. And I saw what life on the other side of alcohol abuse looked like, yeah. and I couldn't go back. So you you were doing so you're doing the twelve steps, right? Mm-hmm. Is this where you found the this group of ladies? That through that I found them at eight. Yeah, okay. yeah, they were the the first people I remember meeting. And then were the, were they the ones that introduced you to like meditation and some of these uh, and yoga and some other stuff? Yeah, one of the women um, who unfortunately is no longer with us, um, she died by suicide two years ago. Um, Yeah, it was really tough because she was my rock, like she saved my life. Yeah. So she was the first woman I met. When I got to my first meeting, there were some people outside smoking and I said, is this an AA meeting? And they said, yeah. I said, okay, this is my first one. And they said, oh, let us introduce you to this person. And it was her. Um, Yeah, she brought me through the 12 steps. She introduced me to these other women. We had a Friday night meeting that was just the, I think there was like seven of us. And that's really where I found myself. And I, I found meditation. So this woman, this first woman I met, she brought me to a meditation meeting. Um, that AA offered and I I wouldn't say it took right away but it helped it did I found some peace in those meetings yeah eventually I got hooked and and yoga I had kind of done like here and there like at the gym with my gym membership but never really as a practice right but during that year yoga became a practice and then I met my yoga teacher who is also my spiritual teacher and my life just continued to improve my depression it is still there but it's manageable and I live life in joy now and that's because of yoga and meditation and energy healing like those three things and and finding God like that's what happened is, is when I got sober and I started doing these steps, I found God, I found my higher power. And I remember the shift in me, you know, when I, when I made that connection, I found this connection, this higher power through yoga and meditation, because it allowed me to connect 
with stillness and with my with my breath and and with spirit yeah you and and you were able to bring all those the body and the spirit and bring them kind of all together again instead of having them disjointed or like almost like a disembodied kind of sense yeah exactly it was like I was living in my body again instead of almost outside of it and there's just like this presence that's always there reminding me that I can do hard things and that I'm okay and I'm safe and everything is going to be okay which I mean you know we know it's not it's life beautiful and terrible things are going to happen but it's going to be okay we can do hard things you can yeah hey talk about your tattoo tell me about your god tattoo okay so I have the words gift of destruction tattooed on my ribs under my heart or over my heart on the left side that is what god is to me God is a gift of destruction because when I found God, I had been totally destroyed. But I I realized, and and this is where God comes to me, is that from destruction comes creation. Yeah. You know, I also have a picture of lemonade and lemons on my hip because (laughs) I saw this quote and I don't know who it's by, but it said, it's more than the idea of from lemons, we make lemonade. It's the idea that from destruction comes creation. Yeah. Those are my, my anchors and my reminders that God is with me and, and I don't have to do this alone. Yeah. So when did you meet Brad in all of this? So I met Brad oh. two, <laughs> yeah, two and a half years ago. Um, we were put on the same volleyball team. I play volleyball in the summers in a mixed league and I don't form a team. There's a few of us who play together, but not enough people to make a team. So they just add randoms. And he was one of the randoms. And when at the time I was not looking to date, I was really struggling. I had uh, gone off one of my medications and it was not going well. So I didn't have the capacity to have a relationship. So we played and it was the end of the summer. Well, I guess it was August, the beginning of August. He asked me to go swimming and I had talked to a friend about it and they were like, just go have fun, see what happens. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I just really didn't have any interest in him at the time. And not because there was anything wrong with him. It's just, like I said, I wasn't looking. Um, He has a big beard. Like my dad had a big beard and he's, just kind of early and he was always dirty because he's a contractor and he does renovations and he'd always come straight from work and I was just like oh it's not really my thing so anyways we go swimming <laughs> Allie with her different it. color hair <laughs> yeah he was always in black you know he was very dark and here I am all the colors <laughs> but yeah so we went swimming and that was it the rest is history We've been together since that day. Cool. And he is my rock and my confidence when I can't find my own. He is my strength when I'm not feeling strong enough to to do things or move forward. 
I sat down with him on our third date, I think it was, and said, I have to, I have to be honest with you. I am not doing well. I struggle with mental health. I have bipolar type and general anxiety disorder, and I'm going to be hard to be with. But if we're going to be together, I need you to, to support me. And I need you to decide whether that's something you can offer me. If it's something you want to take on, because it's not going to be easy. And I don't even think he really like took any time. I think kind of right away was like, you've, you've always been very honest. Like, I know, I know who you are because we hung out during volleyball. We, we did hang out. We, we had wine and cheese parties and we'd have beers after volleyball. And because I had no interest in him, I was just being my complete open and honest self. Like I wasn't trying to hide any part of me. And so he says, like, I know who you are. Yeah. I see you. And I want to be the person who holds space for you in your life. That's awesome. And you have like a bunch of animals. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not a bunch. We have two cats and a dog. Yeah. Two cats. But no children. So yeah. Well, kind of balances yeah. out. <laughs> it balances out. Yeah. I guess so. You started like a year ago to get certified to teach yoga. But what else? There was, it's not just yoga. You got, you're, you're working through certification for a couple different things. Yeah. So the, the course, the course is called yin healing and energy medicine, healing yin and energy medicine. That's what it's called. And it's with this, this woman who, or this person who I connected with five years ago now, six years ago, when they were just beginning to offer these yin and medicine journey practices. So it's with this person and they've been a huge part of my journey. So when they offered this program, I was like, yeah, I'm in. Yin yoga, which is a yoga where you hold the poses for longer. Right. It's more of a passive yoga. It's not so active but it's beautiful and it's emotional and it gets you into places in your body that you ignore or store stuff in. Um, as women, we tend to hold a lot of anger and frustration in our hips. So when we open them up during yin yoga, especially in this healing yin, we connect with those feelings and we can release them, work through them, acknowledge them. And I just thought that was so beautiful. I've always wanted to be able to offer this healing in to other people. And the energy medicine just kind of came with it. I never would have thought I'd be, I never would have thought I'd be someone who wanted to teach yoga, never mind energy healing. We received our medicine rights from Pete Bernard of the Eighth Fire, and we are receiving training in three journeys so they're basically like guided meditation mm -hmm. that's super exciting and uh, I've been doing some one-on-one -on -one med medicine journeying and I think it's going really well so that's awesome I haven't taught any yoga as of yet um, just because we're not fully certified yet and so I don't have any insurance but I think I'm going to start offering that soon and then I'm also doing my half a yoga teacher training Gotcha. So half is like, I was gonna say, yeah, how is half a different from yin, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's the half of the more active yoga. It's the the more common yoga you see, like maybe at the gym, um, at yoga studios. There's it's where you do like sequences and more flow, but it's still about connecting with your body and connecting with your breath. I mean, all yoga should be right. about connecting with your body and connecting with yeah. your. I I think breath. I've done a couple of the of the Hatha ones, but I do prefer the Yin. I didn't know that's what I was doing, you know, because I was just like whatever, picked it off YouTube. <laughs> but yeah, that is, and I think that's funny that you said that about about the hips because. I always tell my husband he has angry legs because <laughs> he has a lot of pain in his hips and his thighs. And I'm like, you gotta, you gotta work on this anger. You're holding all this anger in your legs. So then when you, I was just being silly. So now, now I know it's actually a thing. <laughs> For me, it was life-changing yoga and meditation, and it continues to be life-changing. No, does that help with your, cause I know you have fibro. Does that help with that? Yeah. So with the fibro, when I'm doing the yoga, um, I feel a lot of benefit during the yoga, but it's almost as like, as soon as the yoga is over, my body just reverts back to the pain of it all. But it's helpful. If I go a long stretch without doing yoga, like four or five days, right. I can feel my hips get really bad. You know, the back starts aching. It's definitely beneficial to to keep my body moving. It's beneficial for everyone to keep our bodies moving. Right. The more we move our bodies, the more we're going to be able to move them when we're 80. Right. So I do try and do some movement every day, whether that's yoga or dancing. I love dancing. Dance parties by myself are my jam. I have <laughs> like, I would say at least three a week. And Brad joins in sometimes. We'll have like one in the kitchen while we're cooking. It's a great way to, to move your body and connect and just feel so free. I highly encourage everyone to find some songs that they want to move their body to and do it a couple <laughs> times a week because it's awesome. I haven't done any dance parties, but I'm running. So I run to the music. At least I'm moving yeah. to the music. Yeah. There you go. That's like <laughs> a dance party. I don't run. So you can um, dance. <laughs> but I do dance. So, and I've actually been really lucky with the fibro pain. I started seeing a chiropractor in September. So I left my job in September as my fibro had gotten so bad. I was having so much trouble managing it, which affects your mental health. And I just didn't want to be there in 30 years, miserable, hating my life or off on sick leave because I can't go into work, you know? They, I, I'm still on casual. They did ask me to stay on casual. So I, I do go in once in a while. But since leaving, I have been able to focus on nutrition and self-care and spirituality and things like that. I'm seeing a chiropractor, which actually for the first time in my life that I can remember, I'm not experiencing any fibro pain. And it's been about two weeks since I noticed it was gone. I swear by all chiropractors. <laughs> I love my, I went yesterday cause I was in so much pain and I'm still, I, I waited too long. I should have gone on Friday, but oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I had no idea. I didn't go see him for fibro pain. I went to see him because I have a, had a chronic pinched nerve in my neck and was suffering from vertigo. So my friend had been seeing him. So I went to see him for that. And then about two weeks ago, I was like, 
Brad, you want to know something weird? I haven't had any fibro pain today. Like, I don't know how long that's going to last, but I don't remember the last time I was pain-free. Yeah. Well, I started a long time ago. So it's been like 20 years because my son was just a small and I was a wedding photographer and I kept getting numbness in my arm. And so I went in for that just because I'm like, okay, I've got numbness and like pain shooting down my arm. Just fix that. And then like realized like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize like how bad my hips were out of alignment and some of those other things. And I've been a Cairo junkie for about 20 years. <laughs> it's so important to take care of our bodies. One of the things I really liked about Martin's website, I was reading his something on his website and it said, people aren't living longer. They're dying longer. And I was like, Oh, right. Oh my God. That's so good. It's so true. We don't take care of our bodies. Yeah. And if we don't take care of our bodies, then we don't have a body to, to do things with when we're 80. You know, when I'm 80, I still want to be doing yoga. Right. I want to be able to, to pick up my grand nieces and nephews. I want to be able to, you know, whatever, do dance. Yeah. And if we don't take care of our bodies, if we don't take care of ourselves, then, then we don't have those options when we're older. Yeah. Self-care. Number one, self-care in everybody's life should be number one. Yeah. And I'm talking like, yes, bubble baths and manicures are great. But I'm also talking about nutrition, mm-hmm. healing the inside of our bodies, chiropractors, physiotherapists, massage, yoga, meditation, boundaries. People don't think right. of boundaries as self-care, but right. they are. They are so important. Set some boundaries and stick to them so hard. Yeah. Well, I told my congregation on Sunday, I'm like, you need to start saying no to some things. What are you saying no to? Two-year-olds have no problem saying no. And then something happens when we turn 20 and we say yes to everything. And then we realize, wonder why we're so exhausted. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's really important that we learn to say no. And please don't talk to me like that. That makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. What, what did Kathy say? How long are you going to set yourself on fire to keep other people warm? Right. Oh, yeah. That's what we're doing. We ourselves and shrink ourselves to make other people comfortable. And we suffer. But we're the ones who have to live with ourselves. Sorry, I feel like maybe I got off topic there. <laughs> No, that's all on topic. I think it's good. I'm doing self-care. I'm doing self-care month. Some of my listeners need to get a talking to. Uh, But I want to talk about the conscious mapping thing because I had started reading, uh, bad mistake. I started reading The Body Keeps the Score in January. So in March, when everything like started shutting down and there's a pandemic and like my, like the more I read the book, the more anxiety. So I finally had to put it aside. I'm like, I cannot read this right now. Um, So anyway, I picked it back up then like in June, July, I started reading it. And the reason I originally got it was because I had been reading a bunch of stuff on the EMDR therapy. And in the chapter, they were talking about the visualization that that they actually walk people through when they do this therapy and how, and I'm totally giving a layman's, like this is a summary. The idea was to take you through this visualization so that you remove the the power of the emotion out of it so that your brain can then process the memory and basically file it in the right place. 
as a memory so that then if that memory comes back up, the power of it, the emotional power and energy that's attached to it has been separated. And so it doesn't have that same power over you, right? Where you have the the triggers and stuff, Uh, which I thought was fascinating because it really goes, there's a, it, in some ways it points back to St. Ignatius, who was uh, one of the early church fathers, right? And desert fathers and mothers. And they were, they're, they're often called the mystics. And so that was one of the practices he did, but he called the imaginative prayer. And so he'd have you take sacred scriptures, stories from scriptures, and he'd have you visually enter into the story and kind of experience what the people were experiencing and then kind of have this experience with God, right? Anyway, I want you to talk about the conscious mapping journey because I see like a correlation with that, with all these other things. And I found it really fascinating to go through and it was definitely helpful on some things. So if you talk about how you got into that and then maybe a little bit about it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's super cool about the St. Ignatius. Yeah. Ignatius, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. About the visualization prayer. Yeah. It's very, yeah. Yeah. Imaginative prayer. Yeah. Imaginative prayer. That's really cool. Conscious mapping journey is just one of the medicine journeys that I facilitate. It's a very good one to begin with. It's more general. So basically what happens is as a facilitator, I guide the person into their consciousness, into the landscape of their consciousness at this time. The person sees the landscape and then we change the things that they don't like. And that can be whatever. If they're in a garden and it's beautiful and every thing looks great, but there's one flower that's bent the wrong way, then you change it. You heal it. And this becomes a healed change on the person's every layer of their being. And then we add the things to make it more you, how you want to be in your life, how you want to show up, how you want maybe to be treated or to treat yourself. And then we integrate and ideally the healing begins. Yeah. And when you did it, then afterwards you talk about, cause, and I thought this was interesting because we know like when you dream, obviously you, you don't usually dream in words, you dream in pictures. So all of the things you're dreaming about are trying to, it's your subconscious trying to solve problems while you're dream, dreaming. And so that's why you've got all these weird, you know, you're in a car or you're whatever. And so we know that all those things are, is your subconscious trying to communicate to you in a way that's um, makes sense and, and then solve problems while you're sleeping. Right. So what I thought was interesting, it was just basically the same idea, except instead of, of this dream work, except which we know is huge, right? It's so important. Uh, there's so many studies that if you don't dream, the less you dream, the more exhausted you are because there's something about what our brains do to process all the information when we're dreaming that if you don't do that work, that's why you end up being t- so tired in the day. So what I thought was fascinating is you're basically doing dream work, but you're awake. I mean, that's like, that's how it seemed like to me because mm-hmm. it's all symbolic. So you talk about, so talk a little bit about how you look at the symbolically at stuff when you're, I want to say interpreting, but I don't know if that's the right word. 
like at the end of the journey once it's over yeah yeah while the person is journeying I have them describe their their journey to me and I take notes so that when and the journey is over, we can go over what the person experienced together and see if we can't make sense of it. What I do then is just kind of help guide the person into what they think things represented for them. Because I'm on the outside looking in, I find it easier for me to make observations. So I might make some suggestions onto what I thought things meant and like sometimes things just jump out at me when the person says something and I'm like oh my god that is obviously you know and I should actually probably go back to the beginning because before the journey we we talk right. we talk about what's going on in the person's life how they're feeling we talk about what the intention for the journey is what they want to heal where they want to visit uh, what landscape they kind of want to visit so we do like a big one is relationship to self-worth. We've done, like if someone's struggling with a, a big decision in their life, we can go to the landscape of that decision and heal it. Um, I recently found out through a autocorrect that you can also heal your relationship to software. Yeah. I sent my, my spiritual teacher a question about intentions, and I said, for example your relationship to self-worth, but it auto-corrected to software. Yeah. She was like, this is such a deep question. Like, it's a really good question. And I was like, oh, that's... and she laughed. She's like, that's so funny. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so you can heal your relationship to software, that would which really I think be is kind of cool. And um, so you can also do like your relationship to pain, or you can move to a certain part of your body, maybe where you're, where you're experiencing a lot of pain or you're stiff. And you kind of want to see if you can get it moving again. So we, we talk about that at the beginning. And we set our intention. And then we do the journey. And then we talk about what we saw in the journey, what we experienced, our feelings, how we're feeling now. And then a little bit of cultivation and integration homework, which is basically like, you know, have a saltwater bath, do some journaling. I've had some people draw pictures of their landscapes, which I thought was probably very therapeutic. And how did you get into this? It just, it just came out of your, was it just part of the whole, like, I don't know, do you go to a studio or something like that for your meditation and your yoga or like an offering? Like, how did you, how did that come up in the rest of all this stuff? My spiritual teacher, Sarah Allen, they were offering these yin and journeying sessions out of their home. And they were just kind of starting this business. They've been a, a yoga teacher and energy healer for many, many years. They're very intuitive. So anyway, they started doing these healings and these journeys. They're also a massage therapist. So I started seeing them for massages. And they were just, you've got a lot of magic in you. You are meant to be a great healer. You were going to do great things. Like you're suffering was not for nothing it's mm -hmm. you're going to help people it's kind of like you know I'm just gonna keep doing the class like going to classes and receiving the healing but then they launched this um healing in an energy medicine course yeah 
and I couldn't say no. I had to take it. And at the time, I was taking it for myself. I had no intention of offering the journeys or facilitating yoga or anything like that, that this was my um, gift to the world. And it's probably through me to do this. You know, how dare we not share our gifts with the world? Who are we not to share our gifts with the world? God made us and God gave us our our gifts or our struggles or whatever so that we could share with the world and help others. So one day it was just like, you're a healer. Who are you not to offer the healing to the world? Because you're still broken? Well, I'm not broken. I'm human. I've got issues. But I am a lot farther ahead than someone who hasn't even started the journey. You know, I've been on this journey, this energy healing journey, this yoga journey, meditation journey since I was 28 and I'm 34 now. So I've changed so much in those six or seven years. I have grown so far and I can help others heal. So I did it. I put the offer out there and... And you're on Instagram, Brain Hug. So yeah, brainhug.live. So uh, talk to someone who they may they've been interested in meditation, but they're like, oh, which, oh, that reminds me, by the way, I'm like 75% done with 10% happier. And he's hilarious. Such, I highly recommend anyone who is interested in meditation, but unsure that they read that book, 10% Happier by Dan Harris. Yeah. It is so good he makes meditation so accessible and I love his honesty it's maybe not going to change your life but you'll be about 10 percent happier which right. is better than zero percent right yeah for a lot of people 10 so, percent would be a massive improvement right <laughs> I I know a lot of people who could use 10 percent yeah but it's funny as as humans unless there's like a noticeable outcome something we can measure we don't want to do it because it's hard well I can't get my brain to stop thinking I can't I can't focus I get uncomfortable I don't want to sit that long excuses 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 you can start meditation one minute one minute set a timer there are so many apps out there Mm -hmm. I use insight timer I love it but there are so many other apps and you can find one minute meditation. You can find like probably a couple hour meditations. I've never looked that far because I don't want to meditate that long. Right. Personally. <laughs> I use Headspace and I think they're, I think their beginning one is either two or three minutes. You don't have to commit your whole day to a meditation. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's a practice. It's a practice like learning a new language or yoga or learning a new sport you have to practice nobody's good at it the first time they tried it maybe buddha maybe he was but (laughs) nobody else yeah it's so hard meditation is not easy but it is so worth it especially in our noisy world i think that was Mm. for me it was about two years ago and i was just burnt out i was so burnt out and i took a one month sabbatical I, you know, I went away on a five-day retreat. It was just me in a cabin. There was no like set agenda. I set my own agenda for the retreat of what I was going to do. Um, and I had started reading a whole bunch of stuff on 
neuroplasticity. And I've, I've been reading a whole bunch of books on that. And then a gal I follow on YouTube and she had mentioned the Headspace app. And I'm like, all right, you know what? What have I got to lose? I'm on the verge of burnout, you know, and just sitting silently for even three minutes a day. You know, by the end of that five days, I was, I was doing 10 minute segments at a time. And I'm like, this is so healing, like just so healing and processing all of your emotions. Like, like the first day I just cried the whole time. Cause I'm like all of this junk that I hadn't dealt with for like a couple of years was coming up. And, and I found that when I used the meditation, that then it was so much easier to pray. Like it, my brain stopped do, doing the hamster wheel thing. And then I could actually, you know, engage, you know, God, when I prayed, because I wasn't thinking about all this other junk, you know, the person I have to call and this getting that load of laundry, you know, all that other junk. Yeah. It's huge. Meditation opens us up so that we, we can connect to, to God, to the higher power and open ourselves up to receive whatever it is that God wants to, to give us. And 10% happier is great. For me, meditation changed my life. Never mind 10% happier. Meditation and yoga have opened me up to this world that I didn't even know existed of peace and contentment. You know, I was never content until I found yoga and meditation. Yeah. Have you ever heard of neurofeedback therapy? I've heard the word, but I don't know very much about it. So I don't know, but talk about so, that. About two and a half years ago, I was not doing well. I was struggling to stay alive. I had planned my suicide and I hadn't picked a day because every day I was just like, just give it one more day, give it one more day. Like some days I just rolled out of bed onto my floor and sat in front of my altar and cried, you know, it was all I could do. And then I'd get back into bed. So my friend discovered this neurofeedback therapy and she was telling me about it. And I thought, oh my God, that sounds amazing. It's expensive. I don't have benefits. I'm starting university in a couple of weeks. I don't think I can afford it. So I meditated on it and I couldn't afford not to do it. This was my life. This was my life. And if this was going to save it, I couldn't afford not to do it. I called them and I set up my first appointment and then they do this um, brain mapping where they attach these electrodes to you and you have to sit still for 10 minutes and stare at this dot on a screen. Well, when my anxiety is at its worst, which it was at this point and my depression, it's in my body. And so I, I move a lot to, to get it to move. Well, I couldn't move. So I was holding everything. And then she says, okay, time's up. And I started sobbing hysterical and then they do the second part for 10 minutes that's different somehow I think your eyes are open or you can move anyways I got the results it showed severe depression and anxiety ADHD which we're not surprised what was surprising was basically what it showed was what it shows on the brain map of a soldier who's been told to think about their trigger from war. And basically what was happening was I was shutting my brain off, releasing, I can't remember, it's like beta waves or delta waves just yeah. to 
to protect myself. And um, so this mind map also showed severe PTSD. So I start this neurofeedback treatment and the first session, I feel better for an hour. The second session, I feel better for a day. Third session, a day and a half. Fourth session, a day and a half. And so on until I just felt good all the time. And it got to a point where I stopped the neurofeedback therapy because it wasn't, it wasn't working. But basically why I brought this up is the neurofeedback therapy was doing exactly what meditation does. Right. So I would do therapy, like talk therapy, and I would put, they would put the little electrodes on my head in certain spots, depending on what they wanted to work on. And it would send these electrical impulses into my brain that interrupted my normal thought pattern so that I could create new pathways, Yeah, which is what meditation does. It allows us to heal our brain because we didn't know we could do that. We didn't know we could heal our brains. We thought who you were at 30 was who you were going to have to be for the rest of your life. But we now know that's not the case. Meditation, neurofeedback therapy. If you can do this daily practice of meditation, then eventually you, you start being able to catch your thoughts. Oh my God, did I just look at myself in a mirror and think, oh God, I'm disgusting. That's not okay. So now I'm going to think some positive thoughts, you know, and it's, it's five positive thoughts for every negative thought. And the thing is without meditation and without being aware, we miss these thoughts. Right. And so we're constantly berating ourselves. Yeah. We don't we don't realize how how much negative self-talk that we have. So yeah, the meditation does bring that up. And like we'd never talk to our friend like that. <laughs> like the never. stuff I say to myself, I would never say to my kids or my husband, you know? I just wouldn't do that. And so why do, why do we say it to ourselves? But now that you described that, there is a chapter on that in The Body Keeps the Score. They also used it on some pretty severe ADHD people. Yeah, and it was huge. And it was pretty fast. Like it's within, like I want to say six or seven sessions. You're Well, within the first session, you're noticing a little bit, but it rewires your brain really is what it's doing. If you, if you think about that terminology, he taught, he goes into all of the science in that chapter in the book. And then the have you read presence by Amy Cuddy yet? Mm-mm. That's a really good one too. And she I'm gonna write that down. Cuddy, it's C-U-D-D-Y. That's the last, the last name. And she talks about meditation and yoga, but she even talks about how just our posture affects our, like our physical, like how, how we stand and that kind of stuff affects the brain. And she has all the, all the science and all the research and stuff like that in there that they've done studies after studies. Um, But one of her big ones was they took a bunch of soldiers through who had PTSD and one group just got regular counseling and I think medication. Then the other group had counseling, medication, and meditation. So they added the meditation. The speed of the healing and the depth of the healing was just exponential in the group that did the meditation, especially in regards to the things that triggered them and would cause them to go into like a, like a panic attack and those kind of things. Um, and it, like the results were longer. So like they, they did it for a certain period of time and people who did, who didn't do the meditation relapsed faster. The, the people who also added the meditation 
we're seeing results like a year later, they're, like they're still thriving. Even after they stopped the meditation, they were still thriving. So yeah, it was, it's pretty fascinating on how much it really rewires the brain and just don't even realize it. When I was doing the neurofeedback therapy, I remember, or, well, not the first morning, but the, it was the first morning that I'd woken up and realized my first thought was not, I could kill myself today. Like today could be the day. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. I cried. I cried. Oh my God, I'm free. And this is what meditation can offer you. And what meditation does offer me now, because once I had that neurofeedback therapy, meditation became... I don't want to say easier, but I felt the benefits of it. You know, if you're not in this place where I was, then you can start with meditation and have those effects. But because I was where I was, meditation wasn't enough and medication wasn't enough and therapy wasn't enough. I was at the end and then the neurofeedback saved my life. And then the meditation was really, I was really able to get back into it. Because like 28 to 29, 30, shit was hard. Life was hard, <laughs> but I, I was doing okay. And then I got off one of my meds and I was not okay. And I ended up, I did get on a, another medication. That's also been helpful. But meditation really is, it helps me be a calmer person. It helps me choose my words better, which is, still something that I need a lot of work on. Um, it helps me make better decisions and meditation is allowing me to let those things go, be more thoughtful and more connected to myself so that I can, like I said, make better decisions and connect my emotions instead of blah. You know, meditation allows me to respond instead of react right and that's that's life-changing right there yeah uh mindful meditation which is silent meditation um there are a lot of mindfulness meditations on insight timer where you, you can be walked through it guided meditation walking meditation tm which is transcendental meditation I'm not super familiar with it, but I am taking a class tomorrow night, actually, on it. So I'm super excited for that. Yeah. (laughs) Go in with an open heart and an open mind. What's the worst that's going to happen? Right. You know, you're not going to like it. You're going to sit with some uncomfortable stuff. Things Mm -hmm. are going to come up, but you'll be better for it in the end. Yeah. And my thought is, for the most part, it's free. Like, there's enough apps out there that are free or close to free to me it's worth it I've never done any like classes or anything like that yeah insight timer is completely free but there are upgrades that you can purchase a one-year membership and you get access there's all sorts of courses on there they have a 10-day beginner's meditation course that I believe is free that one is free and it's really good so, and there's tons of other courses on there and, and tons of different kinds of meditations. There's talks, there's poetry, there's chanting, there's singing, and it's free. Like you said, it doesn't cost money. If you're interested in, in trying the medicine journeys or the healing journeys, I do a self 
Atkin, followed by a journey um, Sunday evenings on Facebook in my Facebook group, Brain Hug. It's group, so there's no intention setting. I, I state the intention at the beginning, so I pick the intention. But it's a, it's a good way to, to dip your toes in and experience it. Prior to that, we do a self-care check-in. So we just kind of talk about what we've accomplished in the prior week, what we want to accomplish in the week coming, how we can do that, if we want to be held accountable, what that'll look like. It's just a, a nice little community to, to help us during these COVID times. Yeah, I've been doing the, what do you call it? You're, you're calling it self-care check-in. I'm calling it my accountability group. But in it, whatever works. Yeah, like this week, I'm like, I really need to get back into doing the meditation at least 10 minutes a day, every day. Um, so this week, I've done really good. Uh, so anyway, I think it's beneficial. If, if nothing else, reminding yourself, especially this time right now during COVID, that you really have to take care of yourself. Yeah, it's more important than ever right now. Practice self care and make space for ourselves. Families are falling apart. Marriages are falling apart. The world is falling apart. And right. if we are not filling our cup first, then we have nothing to put in other people's cup. Self-care is not selfish. It's selfless. All right. Well, I'm going to put your Instagram in the show notes. On the Instagram, it's public, but it's fairly new. I just launched it last week, I think. But I encourage you to to join. and and check out the, the journey and it's a gift to yeah. give yourself. So what are you doing today? What am I doing today? I have yoga teacher training homework that I'm going to work on because the classes are like six weeks apart. So I was like, oh, well, I'll get to it eventually. And now I have it this weekend and I haven't <laughs> finished the homework. So I'm going to work on that. Yeah, need to get it done. So right. and I'm going to pay this parking ticket. Uh-oh. Yeah, $105. Yeah, Canadian. that's okay. There's still plenty of, that's still expensive in American money too. So yeah, you, yeah, right. it's expensive in any money. <laughs> right? Yeah. We won't talk pesos. We won't talk about how many pesos that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see you in our, our pod group tomorrow morning. So yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was so great. I hope it speaks to people and I hope it helps at least one person. It will. It will. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Thanks. Is it this weekend? No, next weekend, but we're getting a bunch of stuff ready this week for it. So we're we're doing our church is doing baskets for people for some families in the neighborhood. Yeah. So that's what we're working on the next couple of days. So Yeah. 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 Well, good for you. You're doing good work. That's that's awesome. And you're doing good work too. This is important work. It is. It is. Yeah. It is important work. 